The Rocking Chair The door had become frozen as it remained unopened over the last two months and more so due to recent monsoons. Thus, it required a couple of shoulder pushes to yield. The thrust that Krishi gave to the door caused it to give way with a jerk and unsettled quite some dust forming a dusty haze in the room. Many delicate threads of cobwebs formed behind the door snapped. A sudden gush of soggy, moldy smell which had fitted after tones rushed inside his nostrils, making him sneeze with disgust and to cover his nose with a handkerchief. The room was smelling a little like a dead putrefied animal. A dead red or a pigeon, perhaps, he thought, maybe, which might have found its way in the room through the partially open ventilator inadvertently and couldn't find a way out. Standing at the threshold, he called for his wife loudly. Aarti, please come here and see what happened to this room. His annoyance was quite evident on his face and his voice. Undoubtedly, nobody cared to clean this room for once after Babuji left. He further added, when she came in, without cutting on his annoyance. Aarti too had to cover her face with a sari as soon as she entered from the well-lit corridor to this dark room and had to strain her eyes for a while before they acclimatized. As her vision adjusted in the dusty room, she saw Rishi standing next to the window, trying to push it open. When Babuji was alive, he didn't permit even the maid to enter his room. She still avoids entering this room. Aarti tried to justify herself. I don't know what his problem was. He didn't let anyone near him. He preferred spending his time to himself. As a son, I never felt if I had the kind of intimacy a son should have with his father. Even Ma felt this alienation with him. He definitely was less loving towards us than he should have been. Rishi was still annoyed by having to spend the Sunday in this dusty room. Making her way in the room, she ignored him, as this was not for the first time Rishi was venting out against his father. She reached for the window and unbolted, and pushed it open for Rishi for him to have a look outside. Upsetting a pigeon perched on the windowsill which flew off with a shriek and flutter, startling them both. A gush of sunlight and fresh air entered the room and lit even the darkest corners for them, to have a better look around the room. Cleaning up of this room looked quite a task to her. Okay, I will ask the maid to clean up this room tomorrow. But why not today? He protested. I want to look up for certain things today. The impatience in his voice did not miss Aarti's attention. But what's the rush? Which one of your important work in this room brings you here amidst this dusty cloud? She said, throwing her arms around in a theatrical manner. Nothing in particular and still something important. I will let you know in good time. Moreover, it's not always necessary to have a purpose and certainly not necessary to share if there is one. He said a little rudely. Hum, she felt apprehended. Okay, let me see if I can get it done tomorrow, but certainly not today. You see, as the maid is busy sorting the winter clothes. She came, she saw, and left Rishi and his surreptitious objectives in this room, in a state as it was a while ago. Rishi closed the door behind her. While looking hastily around the room, his glance stalled at the armchair next to bookshelf. It had been just where it had been all these years. He became reminiscent of the fact that whenever he used to enter this room while his father was there, he would mostly find him sitting on this chair. 
He walked towards the chair and stroked the armrest lovingly, as if trying to feel his father's furry arms the same way he used to do when he was a child. He would come running and give a sudden push to this chair, making it rock deep, and then would run away before his father could get hold of his frail arms. All he wanted was his father's attention, while his father seemed too busy reading. He rocked the chair again in the same reverie, but realized it was empty now, and so it got pushed hard causing it to jerkily sway and to lose its balance. He had to hold it steady, lest it would have fallen. Absent-mindedly, he dusted the seat with his handkerchief and settled on it, his head on the backrest, not oblivious of the fact how his father despised anyone sitting on this chair. He sat hesitantly first on the edge. His father had rules and disliked anyone sitting on his chair in his absence. Now, while sitting here on this chair in his absence, Rishi felt culpable, and it bore strangely on his conscience. He closed his eyes in an attempt to turn away from his guilty conscience, as that sense of compunction was overwhelming his emotional self. Not the fact that he was sitting on this chair, but that, while his father was there with them, he didn't make efforts to understand him. Definitely not enough steps. With closed eyes, he tried to imagine his father's face for his approval to sit on his chair. It flashed only for a second like a shimmering wake face but was vivid enough to almost startle him. In his figment of imagination, he saw his father nodding his head approvingly. Rishi backed up on the chair and rested his head on the headrest, now sitting relaxed after his approval. In a strange wistfulness, he felt his father's presence in the room. Just one lunge on the rocking chair and his memories stirred up. Memories related to this chair, this room and his father were flooding his mind like never like before. It did not happen even when he passed away, not even when he had tilted the urn to drown his ashes in Varanasi, and not even when he was standing in front of his large portrait on his bedroom wall, which he had put up in his remembrance. It was just two months back when his father, otherwise healthy and fit man for his age, started deteriorating with a liver infection that spiraled down to a state where he was put on peritoneal dialysis twice a week. To make things worse, he had an apoplectic fit and within a matter of minutes, he landed up in ICU. Rishi's entire world turned upside down in a matter of hours. His father's left cerebral artery was blocked abruptly by a clot from the heart. The right half of his body was paralyzed completely and he was bedridden. He was given rescue therapy with Activase, a drug that was supposed to thin his blood but it didn't work, which was evident from the subsequent cerebral angiogram. He remembered all these medical parlances because these were often repeated during interaction with doctors and nurses. And then, on sixth day of his medication, he passed away. On his last day, his father called for him and asked him to sit beside him. He looked too gaunt and emaciated, with tubes and probes attached all over his face and body. He looked far from his overbearing self. He gestured Rishi to come closer, remove his oxygen mask with his trembling hands and spoke in a feeble voice, mouth turning to his left side out of paralysis. It pained Rishi immensely to see his father in that condition. His words were difficult to comprehend, yet Rishi made all his efforts to hear and understand his broken and incomprehensible voice. Son, I think I will not be able to make it. There isn't much time left with me, but
but I am not complaining. I have lived my life as it should be and I will die contented. But I want to talk to you once before I leave. Rishi opened his mouth to say something, but his father signaled him to stop. Just listen to what I have to say. Let me. He stopped abruptly as if to save his words, which were limited and counted. Rishi stared at the monitor showing the rapidly deteriorating parameters. I want to give you something before I go. I have been carrying this for you for years and wished to go unburdened. I wanted to hand over to you personally, but now, as you see, all this has happened so fast. I don't think I'll be able to as much as go back home. I have to tell you about that here itself. Rishi, after I am gone, you go to my room and find it and take it. It is all yours. It is very precious, so take care of it. It is all I have saved for you in my life and you inherit it. Now, after I am gone. The situation added an element of melancholic yearning which precluded Rishi from saying a word and as an escape he turned away his face to avoid choking himself. All his life his father had lived a man with limited means and measures. As per his appraisal, whatever he had saved was gone mostly in his treatment. To think of any kind of saving that he was referring to right now, Rishi didn't allow to bother himself as neither the place nor the time was suitable to brood over. All he wanted at the moment was his father to get well. He yearned to spend some more time, a few more years between them. Unfortunately, he was told by the doctor before stepping inside the ICU, the odds were very less. His father was talking to him in his broken, feeble and undecipherable words. He looked pensively at Rishi's face. Soon after this detect, his condition deteriorated drastically. He was shifted to a ventilator from which he could not make it despite the best of the efforts by the team of doctors on duty. He passed away the next morning. The next few days saw Rishi shuffling between his grief and the last rites for his father. He religiously said through the Garod Puran, the sacred Puran which is recited in the days and swing death and includes chapters on funeral rites and life after death. In the concluding part, as he was more and more deeply drawn towards the recitation and its meanings, one particular hymn, stirred him deeply. Go forth, go forth upon those ancient pathways by which your former fathers have departed. Thou shalt behold God Varun and Yam, both kings in funeral offerings rejoicing. Unite thou with the fathers and with Yam, with Istapurth in the highest heaven, leaving behind all blemish homeward return, united with thine own body full of vigour. After the customary thirteen days of rise, with his wearied and spiritlessness, he joined his office and found that he had quite a backlog of work. The next few weeks just passed by like a whirlwind. Today, in the morning, he suddenly recalled his father's last words about some treasure being somewhere in this room and entered it amidst dust and thoughts. Rocking in the chair gently, he tried to guess where it could be in this room. Where should he start looking for it? More than the fact that he guessed could be something like money or jewellery or bonds, he was curious to know what it could be. He started with his father's cupboard. When his father was alive, the cupboard and its contents held a kind of firewall of sanctity which only his wife, Rishi's mother, could get through. After her departure, no one had the courage to open it. Until now, after his mother passed away two years ago, no one dared to enter this room in his absence or without his approval. And now, 
he was to ransack this room unrestricted. Even without his father physically present around, Rishi felt uncomfortable. Out of sheer compunction, he moved around and touched things hesitantly. He felt as if his father might reprimand in his full baritone voice, suddenly from somewhere in this room. Don't touch this. This kept resounding in his ears. But then he found his lost courage in remembering that his father during his last breaths asking Rishi to search this room. Looking unhurriedly, he worked his way from the top shelf to the bottom. Few books, the winter clothes, his few medicines, tonics, and his two pair of shoes neatly stacked on the bottom shelf. There was nothing which he regarded valuable there. In a room with limited furniture, then he moved his attention to a desk, which was there beside the window. It was a mahogany wood desk, sturdy and aged, the kind that is not being made these days. He checked the drawers. There were three in all. One had his passbooks, another bank papers, the second one had few stationary items neatly filed and the third one was locked. Perhaps it had some cash or something private. He then moved to his bookshelf which occupied a major part of the wall facing the door. It was a good five feet high and seven feet across and had five rows of books. Neatly stacked with the spine facing showing up titles. As a child, it was this piece of furniture that interested him most. He used to hang around the bookshelf whenever he was in the room, barely reaching the top. His collection had many books for children and a couple of comic books too. Today, standing here, he suddenly understood why his father kept all the children's books on the top shelf, much to his agony and disappointment as his young hands couldn't reach. While waiting for his father to come over and pick a children's book for him from the top shelf, he had to go through the titles on the lower shelves, which was the reason behind it. The books ranged from history to science, fiction to philosophy, and a few books on spiritualism too. A particular one which he recalled now was Nana Yoga by Swami Vivekanand, which was one of his father's favorites. It lay stacked neatly on the middle shelf placed strategically for anyone visiting the bookshelf to see at first. That reminded Rishi to read this book, which he always wanted to do. He smiled at his father's ingenuity even in arranging books on his shelf. His father had told him to read this book a few days before getting admitted to the hospital and Rishi assured him he would as soon as he finds time. Today, he felt he had the time as well as inclination to read that book. He meandered around in the room, reliving the fond memories of his father. The urge to find treasure or other valuables slipped his mind gradually and he went back to the bookshelf to pick the book Nana Yoga. To his utter surprise, just beneath the book was a key, which he reckoned to be of the locked drawer. As such, there wasn't anything else in this room which was locked. With a pounding heart, he opened the locked drawer. He found a diary over there with a pen. The pen had a wooden casing and his name, Rishi, engraved in italics. He was slightly disheartened as he was expecting something more valuable, if not a jewelry box or vat of notes. But a diary? Was a reference of treasure a figurative thing or a metaphorical one? He couldn't understand if this was the treasure he was looking for. Should he abandon his search or continue looking for it in some other inconceivable places? Meanwhile, feeling a bit apathetic, he took the diary from the drawer and sat on the armchair. On the first page was written very elegantly, For Rishi, my son, my life. 
He felt a lump grow in his throat. He turned the page, finding these words too overwhelming for him. Next page had started from the middle rather than from the top and it read like, My dearest Rishi, by the time you will be reading this diary, I will be gone. I have so much to tell you about you, which I couldn't while we were together. For some reason or other, I want you to know everything about your past because that's the only thing that you can inherit only through me. I wish to tell you all without leaving out a single detail. But where should I begin? My love for you has no beginning or end. It's as eternal and as deep as an ocean. I would be gone when you find this, but this will stay with you always. Many times you had asked me while growing up that I don't earn as much as many others do financially. And that your mother feared that I may not leave much behind for you. This may make you have a yearning for some inheritance. Rishi, you may not inherit much from me in terms of money, like many other sons do from their father. But you would be proved wrong here, son, after you had gone through this diary. I think I have left a lot for you, which of course depends on your discernment. Rishi thought to himself, if this was the case, why did he have to create such pretexts? He continued reading, I didn't let you have it all then, whatever I saved for you. Because deep down, I wanted you to have your share of life's struggle to undergo its grind. I wouldn't mind to help you at odd times. And believe me, the agony I had to undergo while watching you go through life's mundane struggles was too much at times. But I didn't help because I wanted someone else to help you. Yourself. I wanted you to become smarter, stronger, tougher, world-wise because these qualities will stay with you forever even when I am gone. Rishi thought there were circumstances his father could have helped him with when he was in deep trouble. However, he didn't stop reading. You must be thinking that how indifferent I was in your times of trouble. It wasn't like this. It pained me double whenever you were hurt and I inevitably lost my appetite whenever you were wrong. But I didn't tell you all this before because that would have made you weaker and less self-reliant. In a very peculiar way, while I'm writing, I recollect that what my father did for me when I was growing up till the time he left, I too had little resentment against him. But unfortunately, he left too abruptly to give him a chance to make an effort to clear up. He had to leave too early without making his equator. But now, when I'm writing this, I feel there were many occasions when I felt resented against my own father, your grandfather. My father might have valid explanations for his behavior, but didn't live enough to tell me. I will not let that mistake happen. So I will be clearing up a few of your doubts. For the rest, I hope you will have to build enough trust to tide over them. Having read so far, things were beginning to make sense to Rishi. Suddenly, he was less inclined to find the hidden treasure, but to read the diary first. He had an inkling now. It was going to be a moment of revelation for his life. Things and facts which he didn't know existed or maybe understood in an aberrant fashion. He turned the leaf. You remember, you used to be quite a brat when you were in your early days of school. Every now and then, I would be called by your school, by your headmaster. And then, there was that incidence when you broke your friend's arm in a skirmish and I was called along with his parents for a counselling session. Rishi remembered that incident faintly now though he remembered very well that he used to be quite a twerp. He was very good at football and was selected to play football at the inter-school level. 
One day while playing, he had a tiff with Ajay, his classmate. He was a little taller and stronger than Ajay and managed to wrest his arm behind his back and stopped only when an ominous sound came from his arm, which apparently broke. He got too scared and ran away from the ground to his classroom. The next day, his father was called in the school. He recalled all of them sitting in the office of the principal. The principal asked both the students to wait outside. After some time, his father came out and told him that the matter had been settled for now. As the principal had acknowledged the fact it was an accident and Ravi's parents held nothing against him. But the principal also said that if any such incidents of misbehavior happens again, you will not be spared. That seemed a little strange to Rishi, as both Ravi and his parents appeared too agitated to let him go, scot-free. Nevertheless, he felt relieved on hearing this because there was a risk, apart from being punished, to be pulled out from the football team. Playing football was his life at that time. Do you want to know what transpired then inside in the principal's room? He resumed reading the diary. His eyes widened and his heart quivered to learn something else which might have happened inside. The parents of Ravi were adamant on your rustication from the school and to make matters worse, Ravi's mother was a distant relative of principal's brother, which I wasn't aware of till they told me about it. Suddenly the situation seemed to turn from worse to hopelessness. I felt that perhaps I would not be able to pull you out this time. I tried by requesting them to accept the compensation in the form of his medical expenses, but they didn't budge. I knew it would be too heavy on you and too much for you to recover. And of course, you didn't break his arm intentionally. Rusticating you would be too much of a prize for a mistake. Then I did something for which I hadn't come prepared. I opened my checkbook, signed up and leave, and offered it to them as a blank check to enter the amount themselves. Ravi's father looked at my defiance, filled up an unjustified figure of one lakh there, which was one year school fees of the child. I tore the leaf from the checkbook and gave it to him. I thanked him and the principal for allowing you to not only continue in the school but to play the tournament too. Of course, you went on to win the best player of the tournament and complaints regarding your misbehavior stopped coming from the school altogether. And that one lakh happened to be a small prize for what we got in return. Rishi took his eyes off the diary and stared straight, eyes dabbed. How foolish he had been to think all this while that perhaps the school let him off the hook because they needed him for the trophy, which the school won that year. His heart ached. He felt a surge of emotions rise. He wished to go back in time, just a precise time, when his father came out of the principal room and hug him and say thanks, because in his conceited self, he didn't thank him even once and moved on with the incident. He didn't realize that after that incident, he fell back quite to his track and that was perhaps the changing course of his life. Out of fear of being given the last warning by the principal, he quite disciplined himself from an untamed red to a wondrous all-rounder of the school. Just like his father said, a small price to pay for. As a contrast, he reflected how, when he was called by his son's school last month for his little subordination, he admonished him in front of the class teacher, thinking little what effect it might have on his psyche. His father was a wiser person than he was today and he longed to be with his father to learn more from him. His reverie was broken by Aarti's call for lunch. Just coming. Give me five more minutes. Did you find what you were looking for? She asked nonchalantly. No, but something more valuable. She saw him reading some diary, threw a wistful smile at him and went away, 
She reckoned he might have got something interesting to read. Rishi was feeling a little hungry as he hadn't had his breakfast yet and yet his urge to read his father's diary was irresistible. His hunger for reliving his childhood memories to unravel more secrets of it was far more than his hunger for food. Once his wife left him alone, he leaned back on the chair and felt as if he was in his father's lap. Being read a storybook, he turned a page in his past. When you were 25, fresh out of college and wanted to do MTech, and the college you chose had an expense of around 12 lakhs for three years, I, despite having asked to help you, found stiff resistance from you. You didn't want us to pay for anything from our savings. Even though you couldn't get past the approval of your education loan, you didn't want me to pay for the fees. Rishi remembered that incident when, after being paid for his education through college by his father, he didn't want him to spend further on his higher studies and yet wanted to go for MTech. It was a deadlock kind of situation for him to gather the huge amount of money. Rishi wondered what the unseen mystery could be, a buried secret which needed to be discovered with this incident of MTech. His mind was racing back and forth in the past around that incident to identify any clue. Suddenly, it looked to him as if he was reading a thriller. He turned the page to know the answer. It read, Then suddenly, I came to know that one of my cousins living in Dharadun passed away, for which we went to his last rites in Dharadun. Rishi recalled more and more of the details. When his parents came back, they told him this little story. His father's uncle, who was childless, and his wife, having died a few years back, made him hireless. His father, being the closest relative, was an automatic choice as in hire. He had inherited a good ten lakh from him. On his father's behest, Rishi utilized this money for his MTech thinking it as a divine intervention. So much he was able to recollect so far. But what else was his father wanting to tell him? He read further. Son, as you know, you were too reluctant to let me liquidate my PPA, so I had to spin a story around our visit to Dehradun to help you. You remember, your mother had a beautiful necklace of pearls. That was the only piece of jewellery that she had as a reset. You might not have noticed, but that necklace didn't appear in her neck after that incident. We sold it. He remembered it now, that once having asked his mother about the necklace in a casual manner, she told him that it had been safely deposited in a bank locker. Okay, he whispered to himself. That was what funded his education. How much he regretted now to miss the chance of buying a similar or a better necklace for her, only if she was alive to wear it. His wife called again for lunch. He was enjoying a walk down his memory lane, unearthing treasures, but then thought about reading it after lunch, as there were as many pages left to read as he wanted to do it in solitude, not to be disturbed and ignoring the call for lunch would definitely cause more calls to follow with an increased sense of urgency. He said quietly during lunch, his son Neetu was sitting across him on the table and he couldn't but help himself looking lovingly at his son. Was he getting too emotional after reading his father's diary? Does he have any such tales to tell his son after he is gone? Suddenly he felt inadequate as a parent. Lunch, followed by the ennui of Sunday, caused him to doze off. He got up after an hour of disturbed sleep and realized everyone was still asleep. He picked up his father's diary and started reading it again. With new facts unraveling, he realized how much restructuring of his notions and beliefs needed to be done by him. 
At one time, he felt that there wasn't much his father did in his growing up. And now, he felt as if there wasn't a thing which his father did not do to raise him. It was becoming too imposing on his self-esteem. His ego, that he was quite a self-accomplished man, got a severe blow today. But at the same time, he was feeling very warm inside, getting his opinion restructured about his father. He was sure it was going to take more beating as he was reading further into the diary. His feelings for his father were getting more reverent that caused a glow inside him, which he had never experienced before. He further read, In the year 1972, when your mother was pregnant with you, her otherwise dormant valvular heart disease flared up. During the second month of pregnancy, our doctor told us to consider abortion because carrying the pregnancy to the end bore a definite risk to her health. She was at the high risk of heart failure, especially in the later stage of pregnancy. I agreed with the doctor about abortion. She sternly said no, taking not more than a moment to decide, and stood adamant by her decision despite my explaining her the risk involved. She said it's her body and she wanted this child. But deep down, I knew she wanted to give me a child, more than to herself, and this was her only chance. She couldn't conceive for ten years after marriage, and you in her womb was her last hope. She took this bold decision because she had felt that bringing a child in my life would mean an unbounded joy for both of us. She took the risk, and fortunately it paid off in you coming to us. No, I didn't want to make you maudlin about all this and make you realize about our sacrifices, but this is about the fact that how much we long to have you in our arms, even before you were born, just to recreate what place you held in my life. His mother's face flashed in front of his eyes. She had never expected anything from him her entire life, always in a standby mode to help him while he started staying away through the night happily. To make him sleep. She passed away two years back, but a distinct part of the grief of her passing away he felt today. He wished he could go back in time and relive some more time with her mother, as he felt now with his teary eyes. The diary had become the mooring for his past life. More he read, more he felt tethered to it. With every turned page, he now attached more value to his life, a life which was built on so many sacrifices. The ones which were deliberately kept away from him to know and were being revealed to him through this diary. He held the diary in his hand as a holy book. It was not that he didn't love his parents when they were alive, but their pity and veneration for him took a long leap today. He so wished that his parents become a part of his life again. Son, what you will read now might take you by surprise. Rishi felt a vague restlessness inside him. What else could there be now? He was already quite shocked. With trembling hands, he turned the page. Please don't get scared or get yourself saddled with it. It is something that most of the parents would do when the time comes. It may appear magnanimous to you, but believe me, when the time would come, even you would be inclined to do it. You remember a few years back, you were diagnosed with acute kidney failure and needed an urgent kidney transplant? We had been searching for your HLA-type donor, but were not able to find the exact match, despite our efforts for almost a year. Then we had one call from PGI that one particular cadaver had come which had your HLA matching. We both went to Chandigarh and you were successfully transplanted a kidney from that donor. 
Of course, he remembered it was a do-or-die situation for him, as the doctor had given him only two maximum four months to get transplanted and somehow his matching donor was not to be found. As the time limit approached at its end, he had quite become despondent and despaired. Then his father said they had a call from PGI renal transplant cell and they both went there and came back with a successful transplant in as short as 10 days. Rishi wondered when he said he wanted to meet the family of the deceased donor, but the hospital curtly refused him on grounds of medical code of conduct in cases of cadaveric transplants. Son, one thing which I didn't tell at that time was that there wasn't any cadaver at that time. I had registered for the kidney swap scheme at the PGI. There were many families with renal failure patients who had a volunteer in the family for donation, but unmatching blood and HLA type. These were tough times. Government had come in action and all that buying kidneys from grey market was strictly put under scanner. Any hospital farm doing so was strictly penalized. Those patients who couldn't be treated with medicines or dialysis had a tough time finding a cadaveric transplant or a suitable family with donor and recipient in it. And even if it could be found, chances of their HLA typing matching with other family was even remote. Luckily, we found one such family, Mehraz. I had got my HLA tested a few weeks ago without you or Sudha knowing and it came out to be the closest match possible to the son of Mr. Mehra from Chandigarh and Mr. Mehra's to yours. Then I had to convince Sudha and the doctor to keep this covert. The doctor was such a gentleman to understand and accept my cure demand. In the ensuing days, if you could recall, I went for an official trip to Chandigarh for 15 days. Sudha came along with me on this official tour. We got an operation done on me at PGI for taking out one of my kidneys. It got successfully transplanted to Mr. Mehra's son without any hiccups in the post-operative period. After a month, you were being called at PGI and transplanted with Mr. Mehra's kidney without your knowing about the source of the kidney. Rishi thought for a moment, what if first transplant involving his father and Mr. Mehra's son went wrong? Had Mr. Mehra still obliged for second transplant involving him and Mr. Mehra? He felt uneasy for that huge risk his father undertook. He scanned next few lines hastily to find his answer. Now today, you might be thinking, why am I letting you know this after so many years? That, my son, is primarily for two reasons. After reading my diary so far, I'm quite sure you might be quite in an emotional maelstrom. One of your longing at this time would be to have me with you once more. Well, I may not be with you. A part of me stays with you for as long as you live. Rishi reflexively touched his scar on the right flank and felt a strange novel connection with his father. This is my first reason and the second reason why I didn't tell you then is also very clear to me while I am writing this. See, you are quite a self-made man with immense self-esteem and hence didn't like to take much help from me. It was evident to us when we had to coerce you to take money for your admission. You would have plainly refused my donating a kidney to you, and convincing you would have eventually wasted whatever little time we had. Of course, it would have brought some risk to me as a donor, but to take it for my son, that was too small a risk to be considered. Dishi couldn't read any further. He choked. He felt a lump in his throat, which refused to move either way. Are fathers like this only? All of them? Or was he very privileged to have such a father? Or perhaps, did my father feel too blessed to have me as a son after a wait of ten years after marriage? Have I earned this blessing? 
In a bizarrely inexplicable way, he suddenly was able to feel the presence of his father's kidney inside him and felt as if part of his father was within him in some way. He felt strengthened from inside. He looked at the diary, gripping it firmly in his hand. It was certainly more than what anyone can dream to inherit in the form of treasure. The intensity of his craving to be with his father grew hopelessly in the last few hours. So far, their relationship as father and son had been more of a give-and-take relationship. They both gave love and affection to each other, besides taking support from each other, but today the relationship crossed the realms of this interdependence. He discovered deep sense of self-importance and the attached responsibility, being a subject of such boundless love and gratitude. After spending 40 years with him and two months without him, he realized a little about his loss so far. But now, he suddenly felt the loss immeasurable and the vacuous resounding. He felt something very valuable missing, to which the value was being added and taken away simultaneously within a short while. He kept this diary in a beautiful jewellery box, the same in which his mother used to keep her necklace, which he till date presumed to be in a bank locker. After a couple of days, his son came running to him while he was sitting in his father's lap in his rocking chair in his father's room, gently rocking himself. Mitu entered the room and rocked the chair deep, just the way he used to do. In his childlike, innocent voice, he asked, What are you doing here? He woke up from his wistfulness. These were the same words his father uttered whenever he found Rishi in his room. Today, he realized, though it sounded stern, ultimately, he was as curious as his son to know the purpose which Rishi always misinterpreted. He mused at such an uncanny correlation between his father and his son. What his father could not tell him his whole life, his son had made him understand. Just that you need to have an open, trusting mind to listen. The words remained the same, yet they conveyed a very different meaning. That reminded him maybe he had misunderstood many things which his father said in his life. That might be the reason why he felt so alienated to him, even after spending good 40 years with him. Had he felt disappointed in it? This very thought sent chills to him. Papa, what's in this box? His son brought him back from his reverie. It's a treasure your grandpa left for me. Mitu suddenly became excited with the word treasure. Wow, can I have a look at this treasure? No, Mitu. This was handed over by a father to his son. This is his life savings for me. But why can't I see it? I'm your son too, and what belongs to you belongs to me as well. No, son. Once you grow up, you will have a similar treasure box from your father. And for that, I will have to start saving from today. He said thoughtfully and stroked his hairs gently with his hand. It is a time for him to start saving for his son's treasure box from now onward.